hello. Welcome back to the show. I am your host, Caitlin Darby. I'm very glad that you're here. If this is your first time, welcome. If you've been here before, thank you for coming back and putting up with my bullshit. It is so appreciated. Um, it's cold as tits today, so I hope wherever you are, if it is also cold, that you're staying warm. If you're already warm, well, enjoy it because it's bitter here. It is Valentine's Day, so I hope if you have a Valentine that they treated you well. If you don't, who needs them? You're fine without them. I hope you treated yourself. We are going to jump right into our recipe for this week, so hopefully you can cook you up something delicious and then sit down and listen to some crime and murder and just brutal, violent acts. So today, our recipe is going to be Frickin' chicken meatballs. It's called chicken meatballs. I just added frickin' in front of them because chicken meatballs are delicious in every sense of the word. Usually, I already buy mine made, but today we're going to learn together how to make these delightful golden bitches ourselves. So, you're going to need two pounds of ground chicken, 96% lean, so there's some moisture in it. One egg. A cup of panko breadcrumbs, a half a cup of grated parmesan cheese, two tablespoons of olive oil, one teaspoon of minced garlic, a teaspoon of salt, a half a teaspoon of pepper, one teaspoon of dried Italian seasoning, cooking spray, and then a tablespoon of chopped parsley. Now listen, listen, listen. You don't have to make it exactly like this. You can mix and match. You can you can pretty much do whatever you want, but this is just a basic recipe. Um, you could do them Greek style and add spinach and feta instead of Parmesan. You can add more cheese if you really like cheese. You can add Mexican by taking out the Italian seasoning and using chili powder instead. You can add bacon bits. You can stuff the meatballs with whatever you want. You know, make it your own. Do whatever you want. I'm sure it will turn out bomb either way. So, you're going to get all your shit, get all your shit, mix it together, mix it together real well, but don't mix it too much because then your meatballs are going to get dry and nobody wants dry balls. You're going to preheat your oven to 400 and get you like, if you hear heavy breathing, my dog has a cold and that's her in the background, breathing heavily into her blanket. So, apologies. You're going to preheat your oven to 400 degrees. Um, either a cookie sheet or a regular old baking sheet. Line it with foil and put cooking spray on your foil, which, I mean, I don't know if you necessarily have to do because I doubt they'll really stick that much. Um, you're going to put your ground chicken, your eggs, breadcrumbs, cheese, olive oil, garlic, salt, pepper, and Italian seasoning into a bowl and mix until that shit is combined nicely. You're going to roll them into one inch size meatballs, unless you like those big fat ass jumbo meatballs, then do as you wish. And place them in a single layer on the baking pan. Then you're going to bake for 20 minutes, or if you're like me and you like them extra brown and crispy, I'd bake them a little bit longer than that. And then you sprinkle some parsley on because we're bougie. We like to add a little garnish. And they're just so, so good. I've been eating them a lot lately. I'm thinking of them right now. My mouth is watering. So make your meatballs. Let me know how they turn out. 
And then whenever you're done, we can get into this week's show. Remember that the dishes featured on this show pair best with a side of crime. So my dudes, let's get right into this week's episode. Um, It's Valentine's Day today, as I mentioned before. So what better theme for this week's show than a Valentine's Day case? So while you're planning for chocolates, jewelry, flowers, and feeding into the capitalistic nightmare machine that is America, some people are having a less than perfect Valentine's Day. For instance, poor Patricia Mann and Jesse McBain. Now, on the night of February 12th, 1971, Jesse met his girlfriend Patricia at her dorm. Patricia Patricia was in nursing school. Um, at the time, Jesse was picking Patricia up for the Valentine's Day dance that the hospital was putting on. This is a hospital that she was training to work at. Around 11.30 p.m., Jesse and Patricia walked back to her dorm. The couple got into Jesse's car and drove down to their local lover's lane, which at the time was basically just an under uh, an undeveloped cul-de-sac. Now, there's an unspoken rule that if one cul-de-sac was taken, you'd respectfully move on to the next one because of course you don't want to disrupt the couple that is occupying this one some spots were actually reserved quote-unquote for certain couples um and the spots were left open in case they decided to show up which is such a weird unspoken rule but if you will i mean do what you please so there was a 1 a.m curfew for the nurses that were living in the dorm i.e patricia Um, The 1 a.m. curfew came and went, and Patricia and Jesse never made it back to the dorm. So, Saturday morning, Patricia's roommate saw that she hadn't come home the night before. This was unlike her. She never broke curfew, and her roommates became concerned, rightfully so. Patricia's roommates started to look for Jesse and Patricia. They called local hospitals, thinking maybe there was a car accident. They then filed a report with the Durham County Police Department. But since they weren't able to just sit idly by and wait to see what happened, because um, the police, I think there has to be a certain amount of hours before they start looking for somebody, especially if they're older. They're technically an adult. They can technically leave on their own. Um, But the roommates knew better. So Patricia's roommates physically began to look for Patricia and her boyfriend starting with all the different lover's lanes in the area. The roommates found Jesse's parked car in one of the empty cul-de-sacs. Pat and Jesse had their coats in the back. The doors were locked. Nothing was in disarray and there were no signs of a struggle. But Jesse and Patricia were nowhere in sight. Their families were now aware that their kids were missing. Um, Now the families know there's pressure on the police to start looking for these people act on the previously filed missing persons report and give us some answers so investigators initially theorized that patricia and jesse ran away and got married and skipped town caught up in the whirlwind of valentine's day romance which just sounds like a crock to me because this girl had a very bright future. She seemed very focused on her studies. She was living in the dorm, training to become a nurse. It just doesn't sound logical. But then again, people do crazy things all the time. So within a day or two, investigators realized that something was very wrong. And obviously their original theory wasn't a correct one. 
No one knew yet that they were looking at a homicide investigation. So two weeks passed with every single lead turning cold and every search turning up empty. On February 25th, 1971, 12 days after the couple went missing, a surveyor working in a wooded area along a dirt road saw what he thought was a mannequin, which of course, of course, is how a body is always found. The same thing with the Black Dahlia, Elizabeth Short. The lady who found her thought she was looking at a mannequin when it was a human body. So the surveyor thought he saw a mannequin leg sticking out of a bunch of leaves. And as he got closer, he realized that it was a human body, which is very strange to me because if I saw a mannequin body parts sticking out somewhere, I don't necessarily think I'd go investigate. But that's just me. The police were immediately called, and after being on the scene all day, it was determined that the bodies were Patricia and Jesse. The couple had been tied with their backs to a tree and their hands tied behind their backs. There was rope around their heads and necks. Investigators determined that this crime was purely about torture. Um, the suspect wanted nothing more than to make the victim suffer. So the area where the two were found was another well-known lover's lane, even though this was a little bit deeper into the woods, wasn't an um, open space like the cul-de-sac. The ground was littered with beer cans and cigarette butts. So people had been there recently, but there's no guarantee how recently other people had been there or how many people were involved. This location was right between Orange County and Durham County. So, and it's, and it's, why can't I speak? An extensive investigation was done that included the Orange County Police Department and the Durham County Police Department and the FBI. So the lack of collaboration between all of the different departments caused a lot of opportunities for um, information to be misconstrued or not. The lack of collaboration between all of the different departments caused a lot of missed opportunities because while a lot of work was being done, it wasn't being shared between the departments. So the lack of communication really caused a lot of issues. And, you know, not sharing that information at the time could have caused them um, leads that could have been fruitful. It could have caused them to not find the person who did this. So despite... All the confusion, departments were able to get a few solid leads. Some were cleared by polygraph tests, while others failed their polygraph tests. There was one particular doctor at the Watts Hospital, which is where Patricia was working at, um, doing her training to become a nurse. He refused to cooperate with the police on multiple occasions. When he was asked to take a polygraph test, he declined and called his lawyer, which is sus. But then again, some people are just weird. They don't want to be involved in things. They don't want the stress. They don't want to have to deal with it. Whatever. The doctor was the focus in 1971, and the doctor is still the prime suspect today. Unfortunately, no one was ever able to really zone in on any of the suspects. Um, they weren't able to follow up with the doctor. I guess there just wasn't enough evidence to get anything else out of him. So the case went cold. 
Now, Tim Horn, who worked for the Orange County Police Department, and his partner, Dawn Hunter, reopened the case and went over every detail that was available to them. They went over suspects. They looked into new suspects. They tried to fit the pieces of the puzzle together as much as they could, but they still weren't able to get clear answers. So Horn and Hunter got in touch with the detectives who originally worked the case. They went over every single detail together. Um, Tim Horn put together a presentation of all the information that he and his partner had compiled. Most of this evidence was new to the original detectives on account of the lack of communication between all of the different departments. The only suspect still living is the doctor who was the initial suspect at the beginning. When he was contacted for a DNA sample, the doctor immediately contacted his lawyer and declined to give his DNA. Sus. Decades later, Horn still believes that he can close this case with DNA evidence. So there's this thing called MVAC, and it's a wet vacuum DNA collection method. DNA can be extracted from things like the rope found on Patricia and Jesse's body and other difficult, hard-to-reach places, but... Since then, no further evidence has been found, no further suspects have been named, and the case remains open and active. So that is our episode for this week. There wasn't a whole lot of information to find on this one, so it was very short, sweet, to the point, but I hope you could still find some interest in it. I hope that you stay warm. And I hope you're having a great Valentine's Day. Stay away from lovers' lanes, and thanks for listening.